welcome to episode 50 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Kasserapple, and with me through every episode 1 through 50, as always, is <laughs> Collins Mullen. Dude, we made it. <laughs> we did it. 50 episodes. Uh, we were just talking about how uh, we're pretty close to like a year's in weeks worth of content, but when was the first time we uploaded? Uh, actually, July 1st of last year was our first episode, so we've been doing this for a little over a full year now, and it's kind of flown by, honestly. Boom. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like it. It's been, it's just been a fun ride, for sure. Was looking back, and we've got, like, well over 10 times the number of listeners now than we got on those early episodes. Like, it's, it, it's really cool to see, and I, I just, you know, we thank, we thank our listeners every episode, but... Like, seriously, we cannot... I mean, I, I don't know if we would do this if, if nobody started listening, but the fact that people started listening and, and want to hear us and, and give us feedback and, and tweet at us and, and get in the Discord and say hi at tournaments and stuff is just one of the coolest things uh, that has ever happened to me in my entire life, honestly. It's it's so it's so cool, and I love it so much. Just a super incredible experience, and I'm really thankful for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, same for me, honestly. A lot of people in Atlanta last weekend, a couple definitely, a couple of people came up and were like, hey, love the podcast. So shout outs to everybody there. Yeah, definitely fun hearing, you know, even just like, hey man, like the podcast as you're walking by. It just makes me feel excellent. So appreciate all of you guys. And uh, yeah, it's just a great community. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really wonderful. And and. I don't know. Like it, it makes me feel. It, it's really cool. Like I'm all the way over in Germany, and it's made me feel so much more involved in magic Connected. in general. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's it's nice. Anybody who you know wants to support us and you know allow me to continue saying these heartfelt messages of, of thank you in the future, you can support us on Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast. We have some uh, rewards tiers and stuff. You can come hang out in the Discord. And once we hit a certain level of support, we're going to start mailing things out, including tokens first, and then we're going to move on to trying to figure out some hats and some t-shirts and playmats and that sort of thing, which honestly, we're just kind of psyched to create so that we can use them ourselves. But we would really like to share them with other people if we do that. Yeah, I mean, I've been wanting a, a, a Grindcast hat for, for me for a minute, so I'm yeah. excited. We're, we're working on it. We're working on it. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So... Today we've got, you know, various things in like magic news and the Twitter sphere to cover and then we're going to talk about some modern developments, especially uh, Infect in particular because we didn't get to talk about it that week, last week and I know that, that you had a lot of strong feelings about Infect, so I, I definitely want to <laughs> yeah. give you the chance to talk about that. First off though, we're going to do our Keep or Mole segment. So I have been jamming quite a bit of Hollow One lately, which unfortunately, although it was working out quite well on Magic Online Leagues, really uh, did not work out very well for me at the GP, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about Modern. But right now, okay. this, this hand is a Hollow One hand. This is Game 3 on the play against Infect. So this hand Whoa. has Hollow One, two Grim Lava Mancers, a Bloodgast, a Scalding Tarn, and two Black Cleave Cliffs. So it's got two Lava Mancers, but it doesn't have any, you know, discard outlets. It doesn't have any Faithless Lootings or Burning Inquiries or, or Goblin Lores. It doesn't have any way to make use of this Hollow One or Bloodgast. The thing that it does have going for it is two of just kind of the best cards possible in the matchup. 
which is Grim Lava Mancer. And having two gives you some protection against, I don't know if you bring in dismembers, but people have been bringing in dismembers against me, especially because they know that I have Grim Lava Mancer. So this provides some protection against that. But, oh yeah, for sure. But it also doesn't provide a lot of fuel for the Grim Lava Mancers. So, you know, this was a really close one to me. I'm not sure what you're thinking is about it. Maybe it's not close at all. Maybe this is just one that should be thrown away, but... Um, as as someone who's been playing a lot of Infect, what do you think about this? I've one? been I've been looking at it, and it this is probably one of the closer hands I've seen lately, uh, just in general. Mm -hmm. Because generally, in your in matchups like this, you need to be mulliganing aggressively towards your uh, excellent sideboard cards, right? Yep. And Grim Lavamancer against Infect is for for your deck is just about as good as it gets. Definitely. It's like recursive shock that you can use to either uh, eat through your opponent's hand of protection spells or you know kill creatures. It's just very powerful, right? So it's like exactly Grim Lavamancer is exactly the card that you're looking for to to be able to stand on your own in this matchup. Yep. But problem with this hand is, yeah, the only card that's easily going to the graveyard is the one fetch land. And then we've got two black cleave cliffs, which is awkward, two grim lava mancers, and then kind of like two threats-ish, but we don't have a way to get the hollow one into play, and mm -hmm. we don't have a get way to get the blood gas in the graveyard, right? So the best opener that I see from this hand is fetching out a, a shock land on turn one uh, to play the grim lava mancer, and then on turn two we can play the Bloodcast, and then on turn three, we could cycle the hollowed one and exile it in the fetch land to shock something. That, it, to me, just doesn't really sound like a hand that's going to be able to get there against Infect. Sure. So the hand has the upside of if you draw any of your looting effects, the hand becomes insane. It becomes exactly what you're looking for, yep. right? Because then you can go, you can lead on your Lava Master, and then if you draw the next turn, like the looting effect, then you're you, you, you've done it right you're in yeah absolutely you can get back the blood gas you can shoot a thing with a lava mancer you might be able to play the hollow one depending on how it worked out yeah right so but the problem is that we have like you know infects very fast right and the the thing about the infect versus hollow one matchup is that it's a race right hollow one gets equity by being able to present a fast clock and have enough disruptive pieces to at least make the infect player think about it right they you know they can't really afford to like go for it but this this hand doesn't really present the fast clock that you need to kind of like keep up right so i would expect that if you keep this hand um and this is something that you should be doing kind of with all of your your mulligan decisions is kind of like analyzing how you expect the game to play out and whether or not that's good for you right so if you keep this hand, I expect the game to play out pretty... It's going to go pretty grindy, right? Because we're not presenting a very fast clock. But we do have these Lava Mancers to kind of, you know, try to shoot their guys a little bit. And um, we're going to be battling over the Lava Mancer. But that is a game that Infect can win, right? And, and partially be that's because in this instance, um, we just don't have a lot of fuel for our Lava Mancer. So we're going to need to be, you know, a little more careful with how we're using it. So I expect the games to go long and grindy, this game in particular, if you kept this hand, to go long and grindy. And because of that, and like, this is just not the way that we want our games to be playing out against Infect, especially since we're on the play, we're proactive, 
being on the play really, really means that I want to be able to prioritize being able to put a lot of pressure on. Because sometimes if you're on the play against Infect and you're putting on like a three-turn clock, then the Infect player isn't really going to be able to keep up. Yeah, so because this hand, you know, it's not really doing everything I want to do in the matchup uh, from this side, I think I'm going to mulligan it. And I like that I came to that conclusion after kind of like really taking the deep dive into you know, how this game's going to play out and, you know, ideas on the matchup and everything. Because in the moment, sometimes you don't really have the time to think through all of these things in the moment. So sometimes it's better to fall back on particular heuristics, right? And one of my heuristics for seven card hands is that I'm, especially in modern, I really don't want to keep any seven card hand that is trying to get there, right? And we've determined that this hand is trying to get there with drawing some sort of looting effect, and then it becomes powerful. But because it's a seven and it's modern, I, I really don't like keeping any hands on seven that are trying to get there. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. I, I think, like, one thing to note about this hand is that uh, understanding the philosophy of the matchup is pretty important. And it's not quite like... So playing against like Mono Red and Standard, one of the things that's pretty important to do is have a clock so you can turn the game around. Um, in this matchup in particular, even though Infect is certainly the more aggressive deck, with cards like Grim Lavamancer, you can actually... And because they have so few threats, you can actually keep them off of all their threats entirely. So you can go with a pretty pure control route. But I think you're right. This this hand is trying a little too hard to get there. Like having the lava mancers is awesome, but there's a decent chance that they just don't don't do it. And and we yeah. could do better than that. It's less important for a deck for for this deck if it has access to Grim Lava Mancer. It's less important for it to present a clock against Infect than it is for it to present a clock against something like like Tron. Like I I have won games where I just remove all of their threats and then get there eventually. Um, oh for sure. Yeah yeah. But. But I think the combination of no real threat in the hand and these Grim Lava Mancers are actually kind of suspect right now. I think that's that's too much to keep this. Just even though, you know, this hand could become great, but we could also just take a six that that is, you know, we know is going to or, or has a better chance of just having the stuff in it already. And uh, one of the other problematic things with this hand is that if your opponent is on like a Noble Hierarch into... Uh, Ink Moth Nexus hand, mm -hmm. they are really going to be able to decide when you fight over the Ink Moth Nexus, yeah. right? We're not in a position where I would feel comfortable just, like, you know, killing the the Noble Hierarch right away. And there are a lot of draws that make it so that we just can't do that mm -hmm. with our Grim Lava Mancer. And, for that, and so the Ink Moth games are the games where the Infect player gets to kind of, like, pick and choose when you start fighting over stuff. So if they have, like, a good, like, Noble Hierarch into Ink Moth with a bunch of, like, pump spells, and then they, like, get to their next turn, they animate, they pump it, you can't shoot it. Right. Or, like, you, you might even be priced into having to go for shooting it, and they have another pump spell, then you're dead. That's not really where you want to be, right? Yep. And this hand um, is also very bad against turn one Relic if they've brought those in. So there's, yes, there's just a yeah, lot of sure. big weaknesses. I mean, a lot of your hands are going to be, but this hand in particular is. So, right. So after kind of talking through that stuff, I think that um, I wouldn't mulligan this hand, even though, you mm. know, it's kind of tempting to keep the double Grim Lava Mancer, or just like a Grim Lava Mancer, right, in, yeah. in, your, in your hand. 
Yep, it's got upside, but we're hoping for better than upside in our sevens. Yep, for sure. All right, moving on. So we had a banned and restricted announcement this past week, and this one came as kind of a surprise. I think, I think most people were pretty, uh, like pretty convinced that there would be no changes whatsoever. But that's not quite what we got. Yeah, um, or at least you know the only changes expected were going to be standard changes, which is kind of strange to say. But yeah, uh, <laughs> standard's been in a in a very volatile place recently, so people were kind of just like ready for the. For the changes to standard. So, yeah, but the only changes that we got were to Legacy. Yeah. Uh, Gitaxian Probe and Deathrite Shaman were banned. So, should we should we kind of take these one at a time a little bit? Just talk about, like, the cards themselves one at a time, and then I guess we'll talk about what we think that's... what that might actually do to the meta. Because I want to I wanna spend a minute complaining about Gitaxian Probe. If <laughs> I well, I also wanted to spend. All right, the go go for it. Bro. But no, no, no. Well, so okay, so I tweeted something about this yesterday, where Cataxian Probe. It's 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 one of those cards that's just hard to evaluate because it's hard to recognize the impact that a card has on how the game plays out when one of the lines of text is is just look at your opponent's hand, right? That like we Magic players know how to evaluate draw a card. Draw two cards. Draw three cards. Like, we know the impact that these phrases have on a game of Magic the Gathering. We know that draw three cards is, like, really, really powerful, right? And we know that kind of, like, the mana cost that needs to be associated with that effect in order for it to be balanced, right? We know, you know, we know how to evaluate a 3-3 creature. We know the impact that that's going to have on the game. We know it's just, like, you know, it's just ingrained in our minds how to evaluate that. Mm -hmm. But how to evaluate look at your opponent's hand is is pretty difficult to do just kind of like from an abstract perspective but i think that enough of us have played with gitaxian probe to recognize that the text look at your opponent's hand might as well read gain a very significant advantage in the game that you're playing if i know it's in your hand and you don't know it's in my hand then i'm i'm just at a pretty severe advantage right mm-hmm. Um, and it's this is why cards like Thoughtseize are very, very strong. Yeah, I was going to make that comparison, yeah. A, a thing to go back to would be to look at what happened when Thoughtseize was in Standard. Thoughtseize was in Standard, and immediately Mono Black Devotion <laughs> just, like, rolled the format. <laughs> um, and not because, mono, like, not because the cards in Mono Black Devotion were, like, super scary or anything. Like, we had Grey Merchant of Asphodel, which is a 5-mana 2-4, which was really strong, and it drained your opponent for a lot, right? But it's not, you know, these cards aren't, like, you know, overly yeah. powerful or anything. Right, about. like, like Pack Rat could take over games, yeah. but it's not like, oh my goodness, this is just too strong right. for standard. But the phrase was never, Pack Rat, and I win. The phrase was, Thought Season to Pack Rat, yep. I win. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, right, so when Thought Season was in Standard, Modern Black Devotion took over because you were able to look at your opponent's hand and create and uh, manipulate your game plan from that point with so much information. And Thought Season continued to be in Standard past that time when Modern Black Devotion kind of, like, rotated out or whatever, but Thought Season continued to be in, like, Seed Rhino decks, and then Seed Rhino was all over the format, and Seed Rhino, honestly, was never the problem. Thoughtseize was the problem. Because mm-hmm. the Seed Rhino decks were like, alright, Thoughtseize you into, like, play some powerful spells, but with, like, so much information, right? Like, we know what removal spells to play around, we know how to sequence our threats, we know 
you know, when it's important to kill particular threats from our opponent's side. And all of that is due to the fact that we have information about what our opponent has in their hand. Yep. And it's it's particularly egregious in standard because paying one mana for that effect in standard is a lot less costly than paying a mana for that effect in modern or legacy. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah, one mana is very, very significant. And I've started to realize that, especially this past weekend, when I played green-black Infect uh, with Thoughtseize, right? I wanted to play with Thoughtseize because I just wanted to look at what my opponent has in their hand. Mm -hmm. But the reality was that Thoughtseize costs a mana in modern. And when you're spending a mana in modern, you're doing something pretty impactful. It's good that I was able to look at my opponent's hand and, and see what they had, but I'm still spending a mana, right? Yep. And a lot of what Infect wants to do is out-mana their opponents. Because all of the infect spells cost one, so you get to you get to just like play at that kind of like out mana level, right? So that um, so you know it kind of definitely showed me how how like spending one mana is is definitely a, a real cost, it, even though like the difference between one and zero might seem like very little. The difference between one and zero is the difference between Llanowar elves and uh, Mox Emerald. Yeah, you know it's it's huge. Well, Mox Emerald um, also has haste. So it kind of costs like <laughs> negative one mana. Well, yeah, sure, sure, right. So maybe not a perfect comparison, but but, but yeah, um, absolutely. But that's kind of the idea, right? So the fact that Gataxian Probe read as pay two life, draw a card, and gain a very significant advantage in this game is just really broken. Yep, and just from a a visceral like feeling from the other side, getting probed feels awful. Your opponent yeah. spent effectively nothing, you know, unless you, you know, are an aggressive mirror where the two life actually matters, which is pretty rare in Legacy, because you're, you know, even like another Delver deck is aggressive, but you're trading resources the whole game instead of just like tempoing them out usually. So like they're, they're spending effectively nothing and now you can't get them. You, you have so much less play, like every time they cast a spell that that it's like oh yeah i you know days should be really good here and maybe they weren't thinking about it or you know i played a lot of dark depths and they would cast a spell and you know maybe tap out or something and i'd be like well geez they're leaving themselves open to the combo but they they know that i they know exactly the cards they know that i have this crop rotation so uh like they wouldn't have done that except they they have some answer to it right now so it it just feels so bad your opponent is making plays that like are a little hard to interpret and you've got to figure out what's going on and it's because they know exactly what's in your hand and you can't do any of the juking and fun stuff that actually makes magic magic it, it turns into a, just a, a different game where you're way behind all the time it feels like right if you cast probe then all of a sudden all of the aspects of magic that are pretty nuanced and difficult become like all of magic becomes if you have perfect information it's just like a puzzle to solve and and unfortunately that puzzle tends to be much much easier than you know weighing the odds of whether or not i can put myself a risk here to uh you know deploy my threats and then like put down my protection for a minute yeah you know, like all that just goes out the window it's just like okay um you know i'm gonna do this and this and then i know that i have you in checkmate right yeah, definitely. And I mean, the, the upshot of all this is basically, if you had said, we're going to ban one card in Legacy, what should it be? I would have said Gitaxian Probe. That is the, the one that I would have chosen. I, I think it just makes games worse, and the, the cost is too low for what it does. So honestly, I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy that Probe got banned. But it's not the only one that got banned. 
Oh, yeah. Right, for sure. Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, Deathrite, you know, everybody has known for a while now that Deathrite is probably just easily the best creature ever printed. <laughs> and a, a surprising amount of that is actually due to the color pie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and the color pie has been something that has been brought up in my life recently way more than I anticipated. <laughs> and I think probably has more of an impact on how games of Magic the Gathering play out than many sp- spikes would like to recognize, right? Because when we're talking about color pie, a lot of like the, the super spiky people that I know are kind of ignore that, right? They're like, yeah, color pie, whatever. That's like, <laughs> we, we kind of like have it slotted in with like magical lore or something. Right. You right. know what I mean? It's just like often like not really relevant to, to our, the way that we think about the game of Magic, right? We're mostly thinking about, you know, the cards themselves and how they interact with each other and then, you know, looking at things from that perspective. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that the color pie actually has a pretty big impact on the way that the the decks are built and the how the colors interact with each other and the fact that certain colors are not supposed to have access to certain effects is very important to keeping magic balanced. The fact that green can't just, like, kill creatures is really important because greens, all of green's creatures are just bigger, right? So if all of green's creatures are bigger and they can kill creatures on a whim, then green is now overpowered, and that's bad for the balance of magic, mm-hmm. right? That's why green is often paired with black. Uh, we're talking about rock decks a lot. You know, green-black decks are very powerful, and that's just true about magic because... You pair green with black because green gives you the creatures and black gives you the removal spells. And so they they work well together. Deathrite Shaman kind of broke that system because black and blue particularly is a very powerful pairing. But it has a weakness, right? Black and blue has generally has no way of accelerating your mana. And that's just important to be true in order for magic to be balanced. And when we're talking about design philosophy and stuff, generally that isn't as obvious when it comes to like looking at standard or modern, right? Because uh, these these formats um, kind of start at a point in Magic's history when the designers had a pretty good idea of why the color pie is so important mm-hmm. in order to maintain the balance, right? So when we're starting from there, right, they, they kind of like understood that you know, these things need to be true, and because of that, they are true for, for modern and standard, so we don't have things that, like, really break it, right? And the things that weren't true for, for that have already been banned out of modern, we should say, right? That's why Shaman was banned out of modern how many years ago? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, Definitely. The, you know, the fact that the color pie is, was broken in that sense is kind of, like, expounded upon in, in Legacy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, number one, you should not be able to fetch Underground Sea and cast a Birds of Paradise. Like, that shouldn't be how your deck is constructed that's not how magic works but also like yeah blue black is a powerful color combination but it inherently tends to be a reactive sort of deck delver of secrets aside but the fact that you had a way of turn one just getting way ahead and your deck you know your i guess not deck velocity but your game velocity was just at hyperspeed at that point uh compared to what you know what other people were doing on turn one that's not really you know, that's that's one of the weaknesses of, of Blue Black is you've got a lot of, you know, powerful cards, a lot of powerful cheap cards even, but they tend to be more reactive in nature. And being able to put this thing into play on turn one that's just like, all right, I am now winning 
and now my reactive cards are that much more powerful because I'm winning on board. Just because of the way that that card was winning the game, uh, I think was, you know, outside of the color pie and ended up being just so powerful. Like, look, look at the homogenization of Legacy in general. Like, there were lots of Delver decks, yeah. but there were also lots of Leovold decks, True Name Nemesis decks, but they all played, like, 40 of the same cards or something like that. And they start with, you know, it, it's <laughs> yeah. just, like, the core of Deathrite Shaman and, and like, Brainstorm and, and removal spells and stuff. And it's... The, the, the legacy was starting to look, like, basically the same. So I'm just, you know, instead of Delvers, they had Leovolds. And that I, it just was bad for the format overall. Yeah, and I think that fundamentally something about magic is that you know one of the advantages that you can get particularly like you know and it's even more important when all of the spells that you're casting are are, are one mana right mm-hmm. is a mana advantage on your opponent so people pretty quickly realized that having that mana advantage means that i can do three things next turn when you can only do one or two right it's like you know a really really important part of magic just fundamentally right, right. so that just kind of like broke it wide open, and and that's not even talking about the interaction with Wasteland. Just like if you have a Delver, or if you have a Deathrite Shaman and you get to Wasteland them, you're just so far ahead. And right, yeah. right, right. I, I think you know slightly less horrible for Magic than Gitaxian Probe is, but I'm glad to see <laughs> Deathrite Shaman go. I you know might actually I probably won't play too much Legacy just because I I like playing paper events and stuff, and it it can be very difficult to you know, be on the cutting edge of whatever you're trying to play in this format right now, but it certainly gives me a little more hope mm-hmm. that, that Legacy will be healthy. Well, I mean, you know what card that I'm excited for? What what card are you excited Bro, for? Oh, Matt! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! We've been we've been trying to put Bomac Courier into Legacy for a minute now, and now that Deathrite... Like, the, you know, Bomac Courier is a, is a busted magic card, but it's kind of... It had been stifled, and everybody's response to... Us trying to put, and us, I'm talking about Zan and mm-hmm. Dylan a little bit. Just like some of the lowest box guys are really invested in playing Bowman Courier in Legacy. Zan in particular, he's been championing that. I know Zan bubbled a couple of times um, in big tournaments with uh, yeah. with Bowman Courier, Delver. Yeah. Right. And and everybody's like retort to Bowman Courier in, in Legacy has always been, don't you know that people play a one mana one two yep. that just blocks it? But that's not true anymore. So <laughs> we get to, we get to Bowman people. Yeah. Same, same for a uh, goblin lackey these one mana one ones that need to attack they they've got a little bit yeah. more life i think i'm a little right. i'd definitely be more excited about bow mac career because that card is sweet but maybe goblins has a little bit more of a chance these days yeah right it'd be interesting to see if uh if goblins make res- make a resurgence but i think that that you know it might but it will become like a tier two archetype instead of like a tier three archetype mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah we'll it's see. it's not it's not going to be 40 percent of the meta or anything like that but <laughs> um, yeah yeah like um I, i'm sure that those games where you go turn one lackey and they go turn what turn one death right are just the most miserable thing in the world so at least those don't exist anymore <laughs> right oh yeah for sure for sure yeah so right so yeah i mean honestly this is gonna have a huge huge impact on the landscape of of legacy so what do we think i mean you know we've, we've been talking about this for a minute but we should at least spend a little bit of time Talking about where we think the format might go. I know that people have been talking up like Rug Delver, like Canadian Threshold or something like that, as I think for a couple of reasons, because number one, it was always kind of second fiddle. Why would you play these cards instead of the cards in Grixis Delver? Well, now 
there's a good reason to play these cards instead of the cards in Grixis Delver. Uh, number two, the like mana denial strategy with Stifles is much more effective when not everybody is playing Birds of Paradise now. And also, you know, like your graveyard is not as much under attack, so cards like Nibble Mongoose are much more reliably going to have threshold. So I've heard a lot of talk about that. I, I have not been, I have not played in a legacy where that's been like a big deck. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah. So, right. A lot of like buzz on social media about how the goose is loose, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which is, which is, you know, fun and exciting. And I think that a lot of that came from, you know, people who were excited or like kind of, you know, have Nimble Mongoose as like a nostalgic factor of their memory of legacy. So there is that element to it. But I, you know, I do believe that we, we are going to be going back to a time where Rug Delver can uh, be very successful again. Because, right, one of the main reasons that Rug Delver was good was because they, they attacked, like their way of getting a mana advantage was to very, very aggressively attack their opponent's mana, right? We're talking about stifle your fetch land. We're talking about wasteland you a lot. We're talking about you know all sorts of stuff like that. Where like the disruptive elements were almost always built around pinching your opponent's mana. Yeah. And now that the fact that people aren't playing birds, we can do that, right? Yeah, it's huge. Um, Definitely. But then there are also some other decks that are going to be slightly less attacked, right? And those decks are going to be like Reanimator looks much better now that people aren't playing Deathrite Shaman. Loam decks get better, I think. There's kind of been a debate on whether or not Life in the Loam decks like lands are going to get better or worse because of Deathrite Shaman being banned. I've definitely heard like extremes both ways on it, yeah. Right. My personal opinion on it is that people have a fear that the decks that the, the Deathrite Shaman decks preyed upon are like the Reanimator decks and the Storm decks, right? You know, Delver decks preyed on the combo decks, and the combo decks were really bad for the lands decks, right? Mm -hmm. So people are afraid that the combo decks are going to take over and lands won't be able to have any good matchups anymore. Sure. I'm kind of less worried about that because I, I believe that the Delver decks will still exist in just about the same metagame percentage as they did before the Deathrite Shaman. Well, probably less, right? Because Deathrite Shaman definitely pushed it over the edge. But I still believe that the Delver decks will exist. Right. And, um, I mean, a, and keep... a, a mana denial deck with a fast clock and stifles and wastelands is still a very bad matchup for Storm. Yeah, right, right, for sure. Right, so those decks will still exist and, and be, you know, bad for Storm or whatever. And and because of that, I don't think that the these decks are going to take over as much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Legacy just has so many so many tools for clocking people and, and pinching them wherever to keep them from comboing off. Like, it seems, like, very short-sighted to say, like, this one deck that has a good matchup against combo decks is disappearing, so nobody is going to play decks that have good matchups against combo decks. Like, that's not how magic works. That's not how metagames work. Right. I, I agree. So, yeah, I, I think that Legacy will continue to be healthy probably even more healthy you know moving forward here with these bands mm -hmm. so pretty excited to kind of like see how it all unfolds yeah uh, but honestly uh we're in a point now in legacy where kind of whatever you enjoy playing in legacy is going to be viable at least for the first few months of legacy's existence in this new iteration sure yeah, definitely. Um, like if you if you like playing loam decks, you should play loam decks. It's gonna be fine. 
If you like playing Delver decks, there are a lot of really cool new fun options. The first deck that I would be excited to play if I'm doing that would be probably Teamer Delver with Bomat Courier. Mm -hmm. And maybe Mongoose and Delver and and Tarmogoyf. Yeah, that is, um, that's definitely some spice. I'm definitely into that, for sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's exciting for me. Right, because then you can, like, really aggressively attack your opponent's mana, all while hitting them with the Bomat Courier, and then, you know, after you've, like, aggressively used all of your, those cards in your hand, you get to refuel, which just sounds really busted to me. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> exciting stuff, I mean... So that's cool. You know, if nothing else, even this, even if this doesn't end up in the greatest spot, Legacy was, like, stagnant with a capital S. And this, it is not yeah. going to be stagnant. So that's exciting. For sure. But yeah, so I guess that's uh, we should <laughs> yeah. move on to... Yeah, definitely. No no time. other formats faced bans. Nothing too interesting to talk about the no bans. I think it was pretty easy to predict that there'd be no Chain Whirler ban because we've got three months until most of the good red cards disappear out of the format. So, you know, once it's a cost to play Chain Whirler because you didn't just want to have all red sources anyways then, you know, that might make a difference to its its metagame percentage. We will see. One of the most interesting things to me about the announcement was that they gave us the win percentages on Magic Online of a bunch of the standard archetypes. And at the bottom of the list, like, least played out of the major archetypes, but with the highest win percentage was actually green-black, like, Steel Leaf champion. Like, like, like mono-green Steel Leaf stompy. champion Stompy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with with 55.7%, that's a really, really high win percentage, so that's very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I uh, I always kind of liked that deck, but I always felt like that deck was, like, kind of a little poorly positioned Yeah. Uh, in the in the metagame. But I guess, you know, I don't know, uh, it, it's, it felt a little underpowered comparatively to other stuff, mm -hmm. and it, it, like, it had a decent showing at that Pro Tour, but not, like, super well. So it is kind of surprising to see it have such a high high win percentage comparatively. Yeah, but um, but it, it's also important to remember that we're talking about you know the difference between fifty and fifty five percent. Right. Right. You know these are like it, it is significant, but it's not it's not like huge. Yeah. It's not like the sec is is broken or anything. So definitely not. Um, it's just doing slightly better than the rest of the other decks in in the format. Which right. Just interesting but it definitely seems to indicate that it's got a pretty strong matchup against the red decks or else it, it wouldn't be hitting that percentage so it's probably worth exploring some if you got to play some standard in the next couple of months but we are not playing that much standard in the next couple of months so and standard's also about to change yeah um pretty yeah. significantly so right, right. uh pre-release this weekend yeah very exciting i am definitely pumped to uh, probably mostly play some sealed online dragging my butt to a pre-release is a little bit outside of what i a normally bit much do in germany yeah yeah a little bit fair but all right so that's that's banned and restricted announcements we've also got some news topics to go into before we dive into modern one is definitely a little bit contentious so after the beta draft kind of after the success of that wizards announced an event that kind of seems to be like a follow-up to that and they're calling it the Silver Showcase. And so we knew that there was going to be some sort of $150,000 tournament at Pro Tour 25th anniversary, but we didn't know any of the details on it. And they just announced this, you know, earlier this week. And what this is, is an eight-man Rochester draft where the players are going to draft 
three packs of beta and a pack of Arabian Nights, Antiquities, and Legends. And this eight-man tournament has a $150,000 prize pool. And the players invited are Levy, uh, Shuhei, Finkel, PV, and then Kibler, Sifka, Dave Williams, and Amaz. And a couple of those guys, you know, Sifka and Kibler and Amaz are really Hearthstone guys. And Dave Williams is a lot better known for his poker play than for his magic. So uh, you can imagine that Magic Twitter was a little bit you know, up in arms about this, this tournament. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. This was, this was a very weird thing to, to see. I, I don't know what your initial thoughts are on it. We haven't really gotten a chance to talk about this. Right. So I guess we can start just by kind of like, you know, um, I see why this happened, right? It's pretty clear to me why they would do something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, especially following the the beta draft that was such a big hit, right? Yep. Everybody's statements after the beta draft happened were, this was awesome. We should do more stuff like this. And part of why it was awesome was because we had players who people recognized. Yep. LSV and Ben we Stark had, and Martin Jusen. LSV, right. LSV, probably most popular Magic player right now, period. We had Ben Stark, arguably the best limited player of all time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so people were invested and people wanted to watch these players do stuff, you know, with this with this kind of like sweet magic history thing. Yep. So I'm sure that people who, the men in suits who make decisions at, at Wizards <laughs> of the Coast saw that happen and were like, okay, so let's see. Uh, people that players like and beta Rochester draft. And... One of the big things in in esports right now is like big price payouts. Yeah. So they're like, okay, how do how can we throw all three of these things into kind of like one deal? So they came up with the silver showcase, which was the Beta Rochester draft with people like really popular people that people you know enjoy watching and and people like. But somewhere along that process, they decided to invite a bunch of Hearthstone pros to to this. Which was kind of the, and that's like the big thing that got a little people a little miffed on, you know, why would they do that? This isn't a Hearthstone thing, we're playing playing Magic here. Why is Wizards dumping, what is the total price pool, $150,000 into... Yeah, for eight players. Not, right, for eight players, for not our pros. Yeah. Right, and, and it just kind of like people, when people saw that happening, they were like, well, okay, we wanted them to pay the pros more. And now they're demonstrating that they have $150,000 to throw away on something. And it wasn't to, it was just like to something entirely separate from what we were asking them to throw more money into. We were asking them to throw more money into price support for Grand Prix, extra incentives for being, having pro status. All of these things that, that Wizards of the Coast has just really dropped the ball on pretty hard. And now Wizards of the Coast is standing up and saying, we've we we can do it. We've got one hundred fifty thousand dollars extra to throw at an event. What are we going to do with it? We're gonna we're gonna give it to Hearthstone players. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and it also comes. The timing is really incredible because now is the time where we are switching over to that like quarterly pro level system. That is number one, yeah. super confusing to pretty much everybody who has to deal with it, and number two is is leaving a lot of players feeling like. Uh, like like completely insecure in what they're doing because after three months if they had like kind of a rough quarter they might just depending on the timing of when they got their you know pro tour top eight or whatever they might just lose their their pro status 
Um, so to have this happen at the same time is, is pretty, like, seems really, really tone deaf. That they just, like, invited eight people. There was no way to qualify for this. There was no, like, announcement beforehand of, like, check out this cool thing. Like, here's how we're going to do it. It's, and, like, why is there so much money involved in this? Because you could get these people to come play this for significantly less than $150,000. Like, coming in literal last place in this event, and you get 25% more than you get for winning a GP. Right, I, I just don't think, I, I feel like it's such a terrible allocation of resources, mm-hmm. right, from from Wizards' perspective. Like, it, it, I understand that it's kind of like a marketing scheme, and part of that marketing scheme is going to be oriented towards getting new players into Magic, and the way that they think about doing that is by bringing in these players who have a big following uh, from people who don't play Magic yet, yep. right? So they're like, okay, let's bring these people in who don't play Magic yet and show them that this, like, this really awesome thing happening. But then, why is it a beta Rochester draft? Like, if you're if you're trying to yeah. show off the game to new players, like, this is really obtuse and difficult to follow. Yeah, it's it's about as obscure as it gets, right? We're talking about, there's going to be, there's going to be banding happening. And, right. <laughs> and let me tell you about people's understanding of banding. The, it, the booster packs have, like, have, like, five basic lands in them. Like, like, if you're going to have a big exhibition tournament with, like, prizes that make people want to watch it, Make it something palatable to people who don't play the game. Like, make it Battle Bond or make it Arena or something if you're really trying to, like, get eyes on your game. Because, like, people are going to... If somebody who watches Amaz play Hearthstone but has never played Magic before tunes in on the stream, I, I feel like two minutes in, they're just going to be like, I have no clue what's going on. And, and they're just going to be right. done with it. Um, yeah. So it's just pretty... Essentially a, a pretty big whiff on... Kind of like a wizard's decision-making process, right? Because it's so... After kind of like talking about it and analyzing like how it's actually going to go down, it's pretty clear that whoever made this decision just like didn't really talk to anybody who actually knows what's happening in the community. And I think that's just kind of like an illustration of a bigger problem in kind of the management of, you know, who gets to make these decisions from, from wizard's perspective, right? Because I'm sure that we've got a bunch of brilliant players on play design in Magic the Gathering. We've got, you know, Tom Ross, you know, I could, I could list a bunch of names, right? And I know that if any of these people had been able to have a voice in like, hey, should we do this or not? Then it probably right. wouldn't have right. gone like, down the way it did. Melissa DeTora or, or Tom Ross or Majors or Andrew Brown, like they all would have been able to tell you like, uh, you guys know Magic Twitter is going to freak out about this, right? Like... This, this just comes off as just a very toned... I mean, and, and kind of par for the course. Like, we love Wizards because they make magic, yeah. and we love the game, but boy, right. every decision outside of it just, like, is a dagger, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, something that should happen, it, it, but it's it's just so impossible, right? Because some some the people who are making these decisions, and we, we don't even know who these people are, Right. Really? No, yeah. Um, they are not public-facing. They are, you know, whatever level right. of high, you know, Wizards executive or, or incorporated into Hasbro or something. We don't know who's who's making these calls, certainly. Right. So, yeah, right. They they just need to reach out a little more and, and, and talk to the people who are kind of, like, in and among the community about these things, right? Reach out to the players, like the, you know, the pro players. Reach out to people like, you know... And, and ask them if they think that that would be a good idea. And 
yep. you know, if, if if they come with like pretty severe resistance or like you know, illustrating things that are wrong with this, then you know maybe think twice about it. Yeah, I just don't think that this is gonna accomplish the goals that they're setting out to accomplish. I don't see how it you know right. puts magic on a broad stage or anything. Right, and they like honestly they could have done this had they also like listened to some of the things that we have been telling them has been a problem for such a long time now which is like you know they'll pay the pros thing i guess that was like about a year ago or so mm-hmm. the allocation of resources to, to all all of the you know the people who are actually putting themselves out there and and trying to make this game you know their life you know we, we've got so much to do before we can just you know throw a bunch of money at, at some some tournament for publicity yeah yeah and it feels you know, if they're trying, the the small invite only like exhibition tournament is a mainstay of esports in general. Like that's part of you know, especially like early Hearthstone competitive scene. That's that's part of like a bunch of different video games scenes, and it could work with Magic, but it there needs to it like just adding it on to the very disappointing structure we have right now. Like it's it's fine to have some sort of invite only Fortnite tournament. Because a couple of months ago, Epic Games said, we're going to be putting $100 million into Fortnite tournament prizes this year. So who cares if they have an invite-only tournament? Here, you know, we are not in that right, situation. Right, right, Exactly. So yeah, I think that kind of sums up most of my thoughts on the Silver Showcase. Yeah. Um, it is going to be cool when it happens. For sure. I think, it, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. Yep. Me too. Um, I think that'll be fun to see, you know, because we know that the beta Rochester Jeffs are, you know, exciting and fun to watch, and there are going to be people there who uh, are going to be fun to, you know, to follow along with and everything, but it just kind of, like, is underlining some problems that are happening with, you know, Magic the Gathering on a bigger level, and and that just kind of makes it all taste pretty bitter. Yep. The... The most heartbreaking moment to come out of this was I saw that uh, Nasif was hanging out with Kai when this like announcement was made. And after Kai looked at the announcement, he said something like, man, you'd have to come up with some pretty specific metrics to not invite me to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and right. And, and that's just kind of like another thing is that like, you know, you, you've picked the players, but they're just like, they're just more, way more than eight players, I feel like, that could easily feel like they deserve to be mm-hmm. at that event. Right. right. And it just feels so the so fact that it, like there's no, there's no like invitation process. There was just like, they picked some people, you know, it's yep. like, okay, but like, sure, you know, like we, we can't really do anything about that now, but like so much of magic's history is you know working for an invitation to an event like this right and uh i bet that had they s- announced this this was going to be a thing and announced like this prize port and everything and say okay we're going to give out like two or three slots to people who we want to be there but then the, the rest of the five sp- slots or something are going to be you know if you win this tournament or if you qualify with certain points through stuff mm-hmm. then you get to be here as well right yeah but just kind of like saying that they came up with arbitrary reasons for for doing that is just another thing that's like mm, yeah. yeah just okay feels you know halfway done kind of yep yeah so that's not great our next topic i think is you know, we, we take that stuff pretty seriously, but our, our next one I think is is significantly more serious than some than this like misallocation of magic prize resources. So 
last week, Ben Friedman, pro player, SCG grinder, that sort of thing, uh, tweeted a pretty thoughtless tweet. He tweeted out, there are too many Twitter thoughts in the Magic Multiverse. And I think this has kind of disappeared on Magic Twitter since it happened. You know, there have been the banned and restricted announcement, the Silver Showcase announcement and stuff. So it does what happens in social media, which is it just gets buried underground because it's not the news of the, the minute anymore. But I want to make sure that we don't ignore it because we've, we've talked on this show before about how important it is for Magic to be a really inclusive environment. And by broadcasting messages that tell any group of people, you know, in my opinion, as like a serious part of the community, you don't belong in the community. That's pretty gnarly. And the language used in the tweet, uh, although, you know, Ben said that he didn't, he didn't mean it. He didn't know what the word thought means. And, and it was, it wasn't supposed to be directed specifically at women, but given the the way that word is actually used, like this tweet basically just says like, there are too many women who I don't respect tweeting about magic. And that's really inappropriate and really brutal. And I I know most girls that I've talked to, most women who play magic, they can tell you stories about how they've been made to feel super unwelcome at, at tournaments, at game stores, that sort of thing. Often by people who are not necessarily saying like, hello girl, get out of my store, but just the culture, the way that people talk, that sort of thing, uh, makes them feel like they're not, they don't belong in this community. This is, this is a community for dudes, uh, specifically dudes who are serious about magic. And if you approach this in a different way, uh, and especially if you're not a dude, then I, there's just a lot of, just a lot of negativity and a lot of, you know, being just unwelcoming and I, I think that really can wear on people and, and make magic not a place for everyone and that's really disappointing and frustrating so i i just wanted to to talk about that a little bit because it's like i had i had forgotten about it it had disappeared i didn't have it in my notes until collins reminded me and and i'm i, I think it's important to talk about right yeah so I, like there are a couple of takeaway messages i think that we can we can get out of this mm-hmm and um, you know, I I know Ben Friedman, and I know that he is, uh, you know, a relatively progressive person. And it, it was surprising for me, and I know a lot of other people, to see him say something like this. Yeah. So I think that it's pretty illustrative of the fact that the people who end up making other people in our community uncomfortable, and um, a lot of the time that's women. But there, you know, there's just so many different types of people who enjoy magic that, you know, we we need to do our best to be inclusive of them. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, world they come from, but that should just always be true. Yeah. Right? We as like serious grinders who spend way too much time thinking about magic, like we are a minority <laughs> of the magic community, for sure. A vast, vast minority of the magic community, for sure. Yeah, so, but... Right, I think that this in partic- this incident in particular was very illustrative of the fact that the people who are making other people uncomfortable in the community, a vast majority of the time, they don't realize that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they say things kind of without thinking about it, and they and the words that they say are hugely impactful t- 
towards people who they wouldn't really even know is listening, right? Yeah. So I think that that is just a really important message to everyone in the community to really pay attention to the words that you say on any platform. And and that platform could be sitting down playing magic at your at your local store or it could be at a tournament, you know, where you you know, you feel like everybody around you is in the same click or whatever. It doesn't really matter where you say these things. But I think that it's always really really important to to try to just pay attention to the words that you're saying and the impact that they might have on other people. Right. And and generally that comes up when you're saying anything at anyone's expense. Right. So, you know, in this instance, it was at kind of saying something. And we know now that Ben Friedman, it was, you know, he, he says that it was a misunderstanding and he didn't know that the word was targeted towards women. And he believed that that statement was like, there are too many attention sinking people on Twitter. But it ended up being very targeted towards women. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, problematic. So, right. I think that it's just important for all of us. And even if you believe that you do a good job on this, even if you believe that you are progressive and, you know, or, you know, however you want to phrase it, and uh, and even if you believe that you're inclusive and you aren't part of the problem, just everybody needs to double check and make sure that the language that they're using is inclusive of other people. Yep. Because it's, it's easy... I think to say something and pretend and and pretend like it's a joke or something like that and and have it have a very severe impact on on people that you wouldn't recognize that it would have an impact on. And I think that if we if we do that more, then it'll do a lot to to make everybody in the community feel welcome because that that should just be true. I think that you know, we all want everybody in the community to feel welcome. And if you have a problem with, you know, with something about some other person, then that's, you know, that's fine. But don't, you know, don't generalize their community and, and assume that everybody's going to be like that. And don't, you know, just make sure that you, you, you are inclusive of other people. And, you know, everybody, everybody, no matter, no matter, no matter who you are, everybody's allowed to like something. So the fact that this is about the magic multiverse, right? He's talking about our community kind of in a broader sense mm-hmm. of everybody here. So the fact that there are too many X in the in the magic multiverse, and X could be anything. You know, there are too many blank in the in the magic multiverse. A statement like that, it doesn't matter what that is. I think that that's just always going to be problematic. So I think that the bigger message here is that if you, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you're talking about. It, you know, everybody in my mind should be welcome, you know, and so don't, don't, don't try to, you know, exclude. Uh, yeah. Exclude, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think one of the um, big examples of this and and one of the things that triggered us talking about a similar topic on an earlier episode was the like unsleeved media thing where cosplayers were kind of under attack. And uh, like that's so crazy to me. Like, you know, a couple, you know, 2 years ago or something. Not that long ago, you never saw cosplayers at a GP. You might see like one or two or something like that. But now people are taking it super seriously and you go and it feels like a convention. You know, I was at Barcelona and Nissa Cosplay is there with her insane Shalai costume with the wings that spread all the way out. And it was incredible. And that existing like makes the experience better. It makes the community stronger. And like, like you know, I, I don't know exactly who 
Ben was talking about, but I know in the past, like, there's been, you know, accusations of cosplayers, like, not really belonging in, like, the magic community because do they, you know, do they really play magic? Dude, her putting together that Shalai costume and building those wings and stuff, she definitely put more time into building that than I was able to put into playing magic the two weeks before the, the tournament. Like, if anything, she should be gatekeeping me here because she is taking this seriously. But even if it's somebody who is not taking things, you know, completely seriously, like, or that's not that's not a level of, of gatekeeping that, that we need. If somebody wants to play magic, man, like, just let people play magic. It's, it's really important. Absolutely. So I guess that's just kind of like the basic takeaway of that. And it, social things like this are, are you know, uh, they're kind of like difficult to, to process a lot of the time, but I, I always believe that they are important to address and talk about, which is why I wanted to talk about this yeah. um, here. Um, and it's it's also important to note that from, from Ben's perspective, I know that he, he, he made a mistake and he immediately recognized that this was a mistake and a bad thing to say. And I think that he learned a lot from this experience. And although I think that his initial words were very problematic, he has learned why and has apologized to us for that. So, you know, I think that it's good to recognize that he's done that. He sent an email to... He, ben writes for Starts the Games and he sent an email to the other writers just kind of like saying, you know, apologizing and, and bringing up the fact that, you know, we should be role models and think more carefully about what we say. Yep. So... Yeah, I think that's also worth addressing. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth making part of the record here. But at the same time, the fact that I'm not included in the group of people that he hurt means that I'm not in a position where, like, it's proper for me to, to give, like, forgiveness, if that's, you know, what we're talking about. Sure. But it's definitely better than him, you know, doubling down or ignoring it or anything. That's certainly a, a much better way of, of approaching what happened. Definitely. Right, and I'm not really even giving any opinions on... You know, on that, but right. I, I do want to just good you know, to, good to give out the information, out definitely. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um. So yeah. Yep. So just kind of like our daily dose of uh, just think about think about the words that you use <laughs> and, and how they might impact people. <laughs> That's important. It is. I agree. So finally, let's talk about some modern a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to magic. Back to magic. So you played yeah. in the open. And then the classic this weekend, I know you you top 16 and your teammate Zan took down the open with Infect. Boom, Zan! Finally got, got there. there. Like, every time I, I talked to Zan, he was like, X and 2 going into the last two rounds, and then he'd just get bubbled. So I'm I'm super excited to see that he, he has gotten there. That's, that's super exciting. Yeah. Zan's been pretty disappointed recently that he hasn't been able to close. Mm -hmm. But it should also be noted that he he's like 12-3'd the past, like, four Grand Prix or something yeah, like that that he's played it's in, nuts. which is, which is ridiculously good. Right. But, you know, putting yourself in Zan's perspective, it still feels bad when, you know, half of those are losing your winning in. Right. And that stings. And definitely like the last round or two that you play in a tournament definitely like forms your opinion on the weekend as a whole, right? So even if you go 12 and 3, which is an insanely good record, if you lose like the last two rounds, then that is a devastating weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of hard to look back. And and you know, so it's really really awesome to see Zan really get there in a, in a spectacular way um this weekend cuz it's been a long time coming. He's deserved it for a long time now and was able to to close on that. So that's that's really awesome to see. Yeah, definitely.
So, I guess probably we should kind of focus our discussion on Infect in general, because this is something that, that you know a lot about, um, you've been playing the deck. And so we've got two very different Infect decks here. We've got we've got Black-Green and Blue-Green. I know that you were really high on Black-Green Infect, but the you ended up playing basically Zan's List uh, Blue-Green for the Classic a after not making Day 2 of the Open. So what... You know, what's going on here with these two decks? What's what's the big difference between the two, and and why would you choose one over the other? Right, so I, I decided to play black-green at the open just because I felt like the Thoughtseize was going to be really, really good there. And Phyrexian Crusader, I felt like it was in a really good spot. Mm -hmm. But there, there are definitely like pros and cons to both of them. The the big downside of playing black is that you lose out on Blighted Agent. And and Blighted Agent being unblockable is is really, really huge in a lot of contexts. Sure. Because a lot of people's interaction with you is sometimes just like blocking with like a bird of paradise. And if you're if you're only evasive guy is a plague stinger and it flies, um, and your opponent has just like has random flying creatures, it can be really, really tough. So also a lot worse against lingering souls really than blighted agent is. But the the other you know the other side of the coin is that you get access to Phyrexian Crusader, which you know doesn't care about lingering souls at all. Nope. And can also do a, a really good job of punching through. So it's just kind of like pros and cons. And the discard you know we talked about Thoughtseize earlier in the podcast. So you know I'm I'm pretty high on looking at my opponent's hand pretty much always. So so I I wanted to do that. But I think that you know in hindsight. One of the big things about Infect is that one of the biggest advantages that you get is actually pinching your opponent's mana, right? And and this is a mana advantage concept that is really, really fundamental to just Magic the Gathering in general, where if you can have a mana advantage against your opponent, you're going to come out on top a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And part of the benefits that Blue gets is that Spell Pierce fits in with the pinching your opponent's mana, right? Spellpiercer is going to trade for a spell in the same way that Thoughtseize does, but in addition to you know trading for the spell, it also trades for their mana at a one to whatever their mana the spell costs ratio, right? So if you if you're spellpiercing like a cryptic command, then you know the advantage that you're getting out of that game is astronomical, right? You traded one for four uh, on on mana, which is really really important. Mm -hmm. um, but if you Thoughtseize a a cryptic command, you still traded the same spells, but you traded one for zero. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like going against that theory that Infect relies a lot on a lot of the time. So there are definitely some things of the the black version that kind of go against what I think is really good about Infect, right? So I was thinking about a lot of those things, and I decided to switch it over to to blue for for the modern classic the next day. Mm -hmm. I went six and three with the black green Infect deck, losing a lot to Mardu Pyromancer, which is pretty tough matchup because they have a lot of removal spells and just like ways of clogging up the ground and the air with lingering souls and that that can be pretty problematic so i switched it over to blue for the next day and i still lost once to mardu but definitely felt pretty good and i ended up making the top 16 of that tournament so, so. what what makes infect in general you know we we saw some success from it at you know a uh, modern ptq online uh, a couple of weeks ago and then obviously zan took down the tournament like what is putting it into position right now. Why do we want to play Infect? I think that the the pure interaction decks are on the decline right now. Mm -hmm. And these are the decks like Jeskai Control and Mardu Pyromancer. Um, part of that is due to the fact that Tron is getting more popular. Yep. So we're kind of like moving into the, the the time of the like the cycle of modern where 
like the mid-rangey interactive decks are on the decline because everything that preys on the mid-rangey interactive decks is is on the rise. And another, you know, uh, you know, result of that is that you know now all of the predators for infect are kind of going away, right? And so like we're we're in. I think that right now we're in big mana modern, right? Mm -hmm. So like the four pillars of modern, we talk about that a lot. We've got disruptive aggro. We've got and disruptive is kind of like the the less important word there. Like we've got aggro decks, and you know so that's like humans and hollow one and stuff like that. Just like the decks that are really trying to you know, put it on the board and, and turn things sideways. The other pillar is like the, the mid-rangey control decks like Jeskai Control and Jund and, and, and Marty Pyromancer. Um, and then we've got uh, combo decks and then we've got big mana decks, right? So big mana feeds, like, preys on the mid-range decks which prey on the aggro decks which prey on the combo decks. And the combo decks prey on the big mana decks. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's the cycle. And I think that we've pretty clearly rotated into big mana is is where we're at. And and you know if we just take a look at the top eight of the modern open, we see we have in the top eight we've got two Tron decks and Titan Shift. So that's like three out of the top eight decks were kind of like these like um, the big mana decks that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and and when those are popular, Infect is really going to shine because Infects match up against the these like big mana decks is just kind of silly right like right. the the infect versus tron matchup is one of the most uh, like skewed matchups i think i've seen in a long time <laughs> in modern um, yeah it's it's definitely like the deck has is an aggro deck it is it falls into a similar category as like affinity and humans and and hollow one but it definitely has yep. more polarized matchups than any of those right for sure yeah, so it has more polarized matchups, and the other thing that it really has going for it right now, um, and this will change um, moving forward after Zan won the Open, is that, in fact, going into this weekend isn't tuned towards. Humans is extraordinarily tuned towards. Everybody is packing, like, different, like, copies, or different spells that are do similar things, but are named different things so that people can't meddling mage efficiently. A bunch of, like, you know, weird removal spells that are, you know, exist in order to kind of, like, trick up humans and, and get them a little bit. A mm -hmm. lot of, like, three mana, three damage sweepers are running around. Right. So people are kind of, like, making their decks a little more awkward and clunky just so that they can be slightly better against humans so instead of running four lightning bolts people are running like you know some bolts and some like upgrades in their sideboard or whatever to just like you know make sure that humans can't just name lightning bolt and and be done with it right mm -hmm. and when that's happening then all of a sudden your infect matchup gets a little worse right because you're you're the removal spells aren't quite as efficient as they could have been right spending um, spending two to like kill that. their one mana guy can often just like start this kind of cascade of paying too much mana to do things and then you get overwhelmed and tempoed out and it creates an opening for a become an immense or something like that right right um for sure We're, yeah and and then that just like feeds into the fact that uh you know infect gets to prey on the mana efficiency of of um of everything mm -hmm. so so it kind of definitely a lot of factors that go into why infect is doing so well right yeah and infect isn't tuned towards right nobody's running like sudden shocks or stuff like that and, like, people are running some gut shots every once in a while, and, like, humans is running some gut shots. 
But Gutshot is a card that's actually surprisingly easy to play around as insects <laughs> because we have mutagenic growth, growth, which is just like a free trade for it, right? <laughs> um, so it's not even that, like, as long as it's on your radar and you don't just like spew your mutagenic growths, then. Mm-hmm. So, so I think those are some factors that go into it. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, infect doing well. Cool. I hope that answered the question pretty well. And, and going forward, you'd probably be more into playing green blue, I guess, just because that. that Getting yeah, up on mana um, game is, right. Is so Which is important. sad because I I worked a lot on green black and I felt pretty good about it, but it felt like all of the changes that I was making to green black was actually just making it more similar to <laughs> the blue version. So yeah, I think that moving forward, I'm gonna stick to blue just because uh, I think that it just fits more with the overall theories that are important for why Infect is good. Gotcha, makes sense. Um, some other notable decks: GP Barcelona was actually won by Dredge. Oddly enough, I mean, Dredge is definitely a deck that we kind of have have pushed aside a little bit. It feels like other decks in Modern are getting better, but Dredge isn't really doing anything new. And a lot of times, like, even though it's attacking on a weird access and you hope to win all your game ones before the graveyard hate comes in, it, it has been, like, less capable of doing that. But it took down this GP. Uh, looks like the builds now currently are running Shriekhorn in the place of Insolent Neonate. Yeah. So this is a one-mana artifact that has three charge counters, and you tap it to mill yourself for two. Um, and so that's, you know, a, a little bit faster way of milling yourself at first, and if you don't have dredge spells in your hand for whatever reason, it can uh, give you access to, like, a higher percentage of your deck. So that's, a, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't let you dredge, but... I guess the idea here is that that velocity that Insolent Neonate gives you is less important than that uh, resilience of the Shriekhorn. So that's an interesting direction that, that Dredge seems to be going right now. Yeah, and it makes sense. You just want to, you know, you want to give yourself a little more consistency, which is important. Mm. Because I think that the, 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 the explosiveness of Dredge is is pretty consistent as long as they're doing the same thing every game. And I think that Shriekhorn helps with that. Yeah. And I mean, you're not going to be out racing like Clark Clan, Clark Clan Ironworks anyways. So I think it's trying to hit that like level of consistency. I mean, I, I, I'm sure Tron is still hard, but especially against like the, you know, Jund and, and, and Jeskai and Mardu and stuff, like game one, like this is definitely a nightmare for those decks because it's just able to keep grinding and keep grinding. So it's very tough for them to deal with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, sweet deck that Zan beat in the finals was Titan Shift with four Search for Azkanta in the main deck. So that's, you know, straight green, red Titan Shift. I think this list is messed up because there aren't any blue sources in the main deck except for one Prismatic Open, or one Prismatic Omen. So I'm, I'm fairly sure that those, that's supposed to read Search for Tomorrow, which is uh, the one There are not card. Search for Tomorrows in this list. Yeah, you're totally right. Okay, yeah. never mind. This is just Titan Shift. So that's just a typo, I'm pretty sure, but... Yeah. Damn, I thought but we had... there is some pretty sweet spice in in that sideboard which yeah. for, what was it? The uh the lava commune with lava. Commune with lava? Yeah. This from like from like dragons. This is X red red for an instant. Exile the top X cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards. So that's a pretty sweet way to grind out a bunch of value like late in the game in a very grindy matchup. Uh I don't know like what the odds of i guess it's an instant so it's easier to resolve 
than if it were a sorcery, uh, if you're playing against a blue deck. But definitely definitely a spicy one that we haven't seen before. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, that's I think that that does a lot to like help some particular matchups where you, you need to really dig for your, your payoff spells, which is fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, um, it just, yeah, if you resolve it because the spells, you know, you have so much mana in Valakut and the spells are so cheap, as long as you can resolve it, it's it's going to give you a lot of value. So I, I, I totally get that. Like certainly something like Mardu, even though Valakut is a pretty bad matchup for Mardu, unless they have a Blood Moon in play and, and you, you never find a way to kill it. You know, something like Mardu or, or Jund or something, uh, grindy deck without a lot of counter spells, this certainly is going to put the nail in for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he's also got that, that Broken Bond tech in the sideboard that you were excited about. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I was talking about Broken Bond and Scapeshift, and it seems like uh, a lot of people have adopted it as like a, um, a one or two of. Yeah, yeah. So cool things happening in Modern. Uh, unfortunately, not as cool as I thought by looking at this list. I that's <laughs> search for Scana. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do kind of like the sound of Rug Scapeshift right now, and that deck does run some mm-hmm. some search for Scana, but uh, but that's a whole different conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah, yep. But this definitely is a. You know, if we're we're in big mana territory and you want to both play a big mana deck and beat the other big mana decks, this is a great way to beat Tron. So definitely, you know, a, a fine choice, but there's no way that he was going to beat Zan in the finals. Uh, that just wasn't happening. Yeah. Zan was not a heater. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So again, like huge congrats to Zan. I think we're going to try to get him on the show at some point soon if we can because that would be really fun he's he's always yeah let's do it great I'm to sure talk to that happen yeah yeah and um so all right well yeah that's that's it for modern for now i think unless you got anything in particular you wanted to talk about um not really i think that that you know modern's doing modern things it's rotating i like infect right now i think i'm gonna continue playing blue infect for the time being so uh, that should be fun. I'm really enjoying that deck. It really, really fits my play style a lot. Yeah, I... I like to get them dead. I was really excited to play Hollow One because after playing several leagues with it, it, it really seemed to fit my play style. I, I think that my failure at the GP came from, like, a couple of different things. Uh, number one, I hadn't played that many hard games with the deck. Like, I just kept 4-1 oh, leagues yeah. over and over again and, and just, like, <laughs> didn't quite have to struggle. So I mostly got this feeling like, crap, this deck is broken. Why haven't I been playing it before? And yeah. that's that's just not how it played out on, on the day. So, you know, my draws were a little worse. And also, I hadn't had quite the experience that I needed to leverage those worst draws and, like, get every percentage point that I could out of the kind of awkward draws. Um, like, I, you know, I discarded a lot of Hollow Ones and Gurmag Anglers, but I also was not playing at my best, for sure. So, uh, yeah. kind of a tough day. Yeah, and that'll happen. And yeah. um, I think that a lot of people like really want to have tournaments be the time where they get to perform right mm-hmm. so they like test a lot leading up to the tournament and then it's like performance time and they want to like do well here but it's important to note that the tournaments are also just part more part of the learning experience and sometimes you learn some pretty tough lessons on the tournament floor and you just have to be able to you know uh add those to the to the experience right yep Definitely. Of um, this is just more of me learning, and and this tournament wasn't my time to to perform and shine, right? Yep. So, but it um, it definitely 
you know, can be kind of tough to come to terms with that when you put so much effort into getting to oh, the tournament yeah, and right. preparing. It, of course, it's very tough, for sure. Um, and, and like, having um, missed day two in, in two GPs in a row is kind of, like, and, and having gotten, like, pretty badly stomped in two GPs in a row, you know, it, it feels not great. But fortunately, my next GP is uh, GP Turin, and that is sealed. So I have, you know, in general, I, I perform better at sealed GPs. And so I think that might be... Yeah, you get to walk in and say, all right, this is my house. Yes. You know, we're playing sealed now. <laughs> I do weirdly love sealed a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Yep. Excellent. So hopefully that'll get me back on the horse. But now let's talk about our question of the week. Uh, this one probably shouldn't take too long to get through. Uh, Sam has asked, what is the worst deck you ever top aided with? So I'm going to, I guess, expand this into like, what's the worst deck that you ever like did really well with, I guess? if if I don't know if you have anything that specifically landed you in top eight that you were like, this deck is, is garbage. <laughs> I um, mean, I've played a lot of bad decks in, in, in competitive tournaments. You know, mm-hmm. I, I played eight whack into several tournaments and that was... While a lot of fun, probably not the most competitive thing, but yeah, I think most of my like significant top eights have definitely come from decks that I have felt very good about, okay. right? And I've definitely top eighted with some obscure decks, like I top eighted the Grand Prix with uh, Green White, Hour of Promise Ramp in in Teamer Energy Standard, where everybody's playing Teamer Energy. But I definitely feel like I had the best position deck in the room. Yeah, right? yeah. So. Um, I think one of my strengths comes from being able to appropriately determine which deck is kind of like the best one. So um, I'm not really going to have a very good right. answer for this. I'm sure I've played a lot of bad decks in my time. And but, that is totally um, fine because I do have a pretty good answer to this. So we'll yeah we'll use that. So I this was States before it disappeared and then came back and then I guess disappeared again. I don't know if States exists anymore. But so this was North Carolina State Championships Time Spiral Lorwyn Standard. So this was a very long time ago, and I was definitely less serious about you know testing and making sure that I had a best deck and and that sort of thing. Um, and the deck that I was playing was Green Red Aggro, and it basically had two cards that mattered in it, which were Greater Gargadon and Tarmogoyf. And the rest of the deck was just like little piddly things that did basically nothing. It was an aggressive deck that didn't do anything until it started hitting your opponent for five or nine. Like I had, I had four. It was basically a mono red deck splashing Tarmogoyf. I had four uh, Martyr of Ashes, which is a one red mana one one that you can pay two and sacrifice it and reveal any number of red cards in your hand to Earthquake creatures for that amount of damage. Because there was a lot of Kithkin at the time, so I wanted my aggro deck to have a bunch of like little wrath dudes in it to kill Kithkin with. And I had Mog War Marshal, which is not an aggressive card, but it takes three counters off of your Greater Gargadon. And I had, I think it's like Flame Wake Adept or something? No, that's, I'm thinking of Flame Blade Adept. Um, but there was a, a Lorwyn Elemental that was 1 and 2 red for a 2 2 haste and has a Voke of 1 red. And when it came into play, target creature gains plus 2 plus 0 and haste until end of turn. So. And I also had Lightning Serpent, which was X and a red for a 2-1 haste. When it comes into play, it gets plus X plus O until end of turn, and then at end of turn, sacrifice it. So this was back when you could stack damage. So most of my deck was guys that would do a little bit of damage and then sacrifice to Greater Gargadon. And then I put a Greater Gargadon into play and hoped that they couldn't deal with the Greater Gargadon. And weirdly enough, 
I played against a lot of Kithkin and a lot of decks that just didn't have an answer to a 9-7 haste. So it was fantastic until I played in the top 8 against a Lightning Angel control deck that was just all sweepers and siege game commanders, and which are which are pretty good against a 9-7 no trample. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my tournament came to a, a screeching halt, although he did eventually, that was Davin Frankowski, and he eventually won uh, that tournament. But I, I remember one of my friends posting an image on Facebook of all of the bad cards in my deck, just to sort of let me know, like, Come on, man. <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah, what's go- what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when Tarmogoyf in a 9-7 that comes out before it should is can be pretty good, so... Yep, and that was pretty much all the deck um, was, but it was it was good enough. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty sick. Um, I love hearing stories of, like, the, the sweet brews that people come up with every once in a while. Always fun. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's it for us for today. Um, thanks again to everybody for listening. For those of you have who have been here with us from the start, thanks for sticking with us for a year, man. That's awesome. One year. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. Um, if you want to give us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or, or to our site, mtggrindcast.com. Um, you know, get access to the Discord. We'll hopefully be mailing out some tokens and other stuff at some point relatively soon. So, you know, get in on that while you can. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thank you guys so much, and have a great week. Thank you.